0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Okay, welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Uh, Last week we were able to unveil our, uh, our vision statement for the year. So we have this kind of constant um, structure or platform for our community, these, uh, these values. When you came in, the, the door, you know, the front door, perhaps you saw these, these values on the wall in, in the form of icons. We talk about those a lot. And we have these three primary values, uh, intimacy with God, identity in Christ, and purpose as a spirit-led church. And our vision last year, together with one heart and mind, drawing close to God, was really a year about intimacy. What does it mean for all of us to be single-minded in our pursuit of the God revealed in Jesus? And then, in fact, that defines who we are. We're not defined by our political affiliations or our socioeconomic status or our race, ethnicity, any of these normal markers that we find in the human narrative that divide people into categories. We say, all of us, we are bound together because of our rationality radical pursuit of the God revealed in Jesus. I've been thinking a lot about this inclusive, exclusive language um, that we use in our culture today and finding some of it a little bit problematic because it becomes more about, you know, the world is kind of a neutral place and it's waiting for us to come in and give it categories and give it names and numbers and assignments. But what I've really become enamored with over the past year is this idea that everything has already been defined by God, that God created everything with an intention, and our role is to kind of wake up to that understanding and begin to see creation come back into accord with how God has defined things. And so the gospel is radically inclusive in the sense that none of those normal categories of human existence apply in the kingdom, right? It's good news. Everybody is welcome. But there's also an exclusivity in the sense that there is a response that is asked from God, that you and I, we're not just automatically in, we're not just automatically whatever. He's saying, okay, here, the gates are open. Are you going to come in? Are you going to enter in with praise? Are you going to recognize, as we talked about a few weeks ago, I would rather live in his world than my own because it begs something of us. Do you realize God respects you so much that he will let you ignore him? He will let you defy him. He doesn't impose his will upon humanity, but he welcomes us. He begs us to come to him, to, to develop that intimacy with him, that closeness of relationship, and allow that intimacy to begin to define who we are. And that's why we say to inhabit our identity in Christ. It's not a surprise to many of us that we would be made in the image of God, that we are His image bearers, that we are uh, the you know the image of God in in creation, that we're sons and daughters. All this kind of language. It's not just understanding that; it's learning how to inhabit it. What does that mean when you go to work tomorrow? What does that mean on Wednesday when you're having that uncomfortable conversation uh, with a friend? What does that mean on Thursday when you're engaging with your relatives over dinner? That's the fascinating thing about your identity. So this year, um, we have this vision maturing in Christ for the sake of the world. And those are the kind of things that we're going to be exploring. What does it mean for us to have our identity in Christ and to learn how to inhabit that? And what does that mean for our purpose then when we go out into the world bearing the image of God... Um, Being aligned with his kingdom that wherever we go, whatever we do, we are unveiling the kingdom of God. We are revealing the love of God and we are welcoming other people. We are welcoming the entire human family into recognition of what he's really like and who he has called us to be. And so last week, we talked about the vision in kind of the grand sense, looking at maturity through a particular passage in Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he's kind of aligning what does maturity mean for Christians? And we looked at a couple of those points that, we, that he's making. It's not about, maturity is not about arriving somewhere, but it's the way that you kind of hold the journey. Maturity is about having a very keen vision of who we are to become in Jesus, and there's a very specific way where we perceive our past as God is redeeming our family of origin and the places that we've come from and the cultures that we've come from, and we kind of, those things enable us to be in the present moment so we can continue to be faithful. And this week we're going to be looking at another passage from a different letter of Paul's um, where he's writing in terms of the the practicalities, what does it look like for us to practically grow, to become more and more mature. And so as we're going through this, I want to encourage you, go ahead and take out your phones um, or your iPads or your iMacs if you uh, brought that along with you. No, not for this. This isn't in the Bible. So don't hold this as in high regard. But go to citybeautiful.ch, that's my mother by the way, so she has permission to say things like that. The rest of you keep it quiet. If you go to citybeautiful.ch slash praxis, what you're gonna find there um, is kind of divided into two halves. The first half are all the, the discipleship opportunities that we're launching in this next season, right through till June. And the second half is going to be serving opportunities. And and as we're going through this, you're going to have some time um, to look at that, to reflect, and look at these two very practical ways for you to step into this journey of maturity. So just keep that up. Feel free to look at that when I start waffling on and on about strange philosophies from the 18th century. And I'll call you back in that. But the the sign-up will only be open from today until 12.05 p.m. next Sunday. That you only have one week. If you want to sign up for discipleship, if you want to sign up to serve, you only have one week to do it because we want to be serious about it. We want to get on the ground running. And so that's going to be uh, a sense of urgency. So. We're going to be looking at this, uh, this little passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, and if you know Ephesians, the kind of the first three chapters are these very big picture images of here's who God is and here's what God is doing through the Christ and, and this is what it looks like for the world to be redeemed. And it's all very big and heady knowledge. And those of us who are practical, we kind of, you know, we kind of glaze through Ephesians one through three. And then we come to four, there's a very lovely therefore in, in Ephesians four where it goes, oh, okay, now it's getting practical. And a lot of times, we look for those practical bits. So in Ephesians 4, it's talking about how to be the church. In Ephesians 5 and 6, it's talking about marriage and raising children and owning slaves and all of these kind of very lovely practical things that, you know, we kind of have to suss through. And, And oftentimes, the church has actually gotten a lot of trouble with. Because we've done Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, all the practical things, but we don't have the vision of Ephesians 1, 2, 3. What is God doing through Jesus, and what does that mean for crafting a people, a family in what we call the church? And so this is the transition. I encourage you later on this week um, to go back and to read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. But here Paul is saying, this is what it looks like to be the church in practice. So we're going to begin in verse 11. So, Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And I promise you, I'm not just Googling wherever it says mature in the Bible and we're just going to do that. It was here already (laughs) attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants And so Paul is kind of laying out an understanding of what is the church for, what is the church supposed to do, and how is it supposed to do that. The first thing that we can recognize here in that in those first few verses is that it's all about knowing God's Son. That intimacy really leads us to a mature and genuine human life. So one of the things that we talked about last week is if we want to know what a mature human being looks at looks like, we look at Jesus. And Jesus gives us the template for who we are to become when we're following God on this journey of growing. And I think that that is so important because we find ourselves often lost when we don't have a template for where we're headed, who we are to become. And indeed, a lot of the modern philosophies that we're bumping up against, as he's kind of talking about here, are telling you, whoever you are right now, that's who you really are. And there's no expectation for you to change or grow or anything. Whatever you feel right now, that's the thing as I said, I was going to waffle on about philosophy over the past 300 years. You have the romantic era, which was saying, oh, whatever you feel, that's what's really true. You had existentialism, which says, whoever you are right now in time, that's the realest, most honest thing that you can be. And then the, the kind of stepchild of those two, emotivism, which really says, just be guided by your feelings. And oftentimes it's been interpreted into scripture too, and it's been interpreted into the Christian narrative, where we say, well, at the end of the day, God just wants your heart. Because what we believe is the heart is the center of what it means to be a human being. And I think I chased after that for a long time. At the end of the day, God just wants your heart. That's all He's after. And I began to actually read the Bible. Uh, and I, lo and behold, that's not in there. Maybe it's in like Third Hesitations or something, some, some non canonical book that I, that I haven't read yet. But God does not want just your heart, God wants the whole person. And indeed, the journey of salvation and growth is God rescuing and redeeming every part of what it means to be a human being. Your heart, your mind, your spirit, your soul, your body, God wants all of it. And so we have to understand maturity is all of those things of who you are, being gathered up, being put back together, and being raised to look more and more like Jesus. And it's only possible that intimacy through God gives us that understanding of what it means to live a genuine human life. Number two, that maturity for Christians means cultural discernment. Maturity in Christ means that we are so immersed in the character of God and his kingdom in thinking in the way that he does and feeling the way that he's calling us to feel that very quickly we begin to look at all of these other messages that we're surrounded by in our culture and we begin to discern that doesn't actually sound like the gospel. That doesn't actually sound like good news. And as we become more mature, we begin to ask these questions. What are the lies that we are inadvertently buying from the culture around us? One need only to pause and reflect on all of the the advertising that you'll take in a particular day to recognize this. If you only use this toothpaste, people would love you, (laughs) right? This is how much advertising works. It says, number one, you're not okay the way that you are. You're broken, you're dysfunctional, you're unlovable. And number two, if you bought this product, then maybe you would find fulfillment, success, adoration, whatever it might be. And so these messages that we're inundated with are are being interpreted through that lens of Jesus to say, I don't know if that's actually what's going on. And I find this a lot of times in the, 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 the arguments and the debates that we're getting on in, in culture. We're using these kind of humanistic arguments and tossing them back and forth. And we're thinking like, we're not thinking like Christians first. I almost said, I mean, well, I like this quote a lot. Maybe you won't. Uh, Stanley Howard is someone I like very much. He says, most Americans don't know how to read the Bible because they're Americans before they're Christians. That's what I'm talking about, Okay. It's whenever we have some other identity first, and then Christian is a thing that we've tacked on to it, then we're only looking to reinforce the messages that we already believe. Okay? And within our American society, what is that? It's if you just work really hard, you can achieve anything. You know, this kind of manifest destiny, like you are a self-made man, you're a self-made woman, everything you have is to your own credit. That's kind of message we've internalized so deeply that we can't even see it. And then we just kind of tack Jesus onto it to justify that. I read another lovely quote this week that's talking about Abraham Lincoln. He says, do you ever worry about, is God on your side? He said, I'm not so much worried if God is on my side as if I'm on God's side. And we need that kind of cultural discernment to flip it inside out, to say, are we truly examining the world in which we live through the lens of the kingdom and that's what Paul's talking about here. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming because so many of the messages that we're interpreting from society are intended to keep us in bondage and get into our wallets. That's what it's for. That's what people are trying to do. They're trying to win a political argument. They're trying to keep us believing that at the core of who we are, we are consumers and it's keeping us from the message of Jesus. And we wonder why we continually find ourselves bound, feeling like we're not free, feeling we're still enslaved. It's because we're being tossed back and forth by all of these messages that we're getting from television and entertainment and social media and school, and all of this stuff is pulling at our souls, trying to keep us away from the message of Jesus. And thirdly, What Paul is saying here is that there is a vision for what discipleship is and what service looks like that is so easily lost within the church. And I know many of you, you know, you grew up in church and perhaps you experienced this in some way, that you were told, oh, you you go to Bible study or you, you know, you do this devotional or whatever just because that's good for you and that's what you're supposed to do. It's kind of a behavior-based kind of religion. Um... And when we, when we enter into that behavior-based religion, we find ourselves burning out very quickly. And in fact, we get wounded by that because we believe that the Christian journey in and of itself is just about keeping the rules. And it kind of goes like this. Human beings tried to keep the rules. They didn't do a very good job. Jesus came. He kept all the rules, which was great because it got us off the hook for a little while. But now we're supposed to keep the rules again. <laughs> and that's the gospel. And you're like, great. Sign me up for that. Now, some of us love rules and regulations. And so we'll actually buy into that version of the gospel that it's about behavior modification. And some of us hate rules and regulations, so we reject it. But there's a far larger, more interesting conversation to be had about formation. That it's not about behavior, it's about character. And it's about us growing to become more like Jesus. And so a lot of times, even within church culture, whether we're talking about discipleship, gathering together as believers uh, to pray, to worship, to study the scriptures, to encourage each other, to challenge each other. We don't have a vision for what that means, and it becomes legalism. Or we reject it and say, well, I'm just going to do it on my own. I am increasingly convinced that you cannot be a Christian on your own. Because part of that means you're not even listening to Jesus very closely. To say, well, it's just, I, I'm going to just reject the church. I'm just going to do it myself. If you are a Christian, you are the church. You see, unity isn't something, I'm, we'll, we'll get to that later, whatever. I'm going to go to read. But then it's the same thing with service, right? When we don't have that vision for who we are becoming, that service forms us, then we make decisions on serving the body of Christ just on what we feel in the moment. And so how do we begin this journey to maturity? And I think there's two conclusions that I've drawn um, from Paul's passage here in Ephesians 4. Number one, the path to maturity begins with commitment, And how do we define commitment? Commitment to me is choosing not to choose because we know that growth mostly happens over time. Commitment is choosing not to choose. In our modern culture, another thing that we do that maybe we don't realize we've internalized in the church is that we idolize the idea of youth, okay? Some of the best musicians in the world are 70 years old and they sell like 5,000 albums a year right? But in music, it's a great example. We idolize youth, and that's the realest, most authentic, that's the best thing that we can have to offer instead of someone who's worked on their craft for 50 years. If you want some names of old bluesmen, uh, come and see me after, and I'll, I'll turn you on to some really good music. When we idolize the cult of youth, we're worshiping uh, at, at two different altars. Number one, spontaneity. And again, internalizing that romantic and philosophy, spontaneity means in order to be free, I have to have options, right? It's saying basically, if I only have two choices of bleach in the grocery store as opposed to the usual 16, I am somehow less free. That's what we mean by freedom. And so... For me to be myself, I have to be free. And we become Teflon creatures. Any kind of definition slides off of us because we want to keep our options open. And youth idolizes that spontaneity. And that's very natural and normal for us as we grow and develop, and especially as we kind of set out on our own in our 20s, we're looking to figure out who we are, but we more define ourselves by what we're not than what we are. It's a reactivistic identity. Well, I'm not that and I'm not what my parents say and I'm not what my culture says and we kind of allow things to slide off of us without ever really latching onto something because to be defined is to mean that we have lessened our freedom. To allow ourselves to have boundaries and definitions means that we are less free than we were before and youth idolizes that kind of spontaneity. Secondly, youth idolizes authenticity and authenticity means whatever I feel is truest in the moment is the thing that I am going to pursue And so any kind of expectations that are placed on me or me doing something because it's being offered to me is somehow inauthentic. This is what I often bump up against when we're talking about liturgical prayer in our church is, oh, well, prayer, it's just, it's wrote, and somebody else said it. It's not coming from the heart. And I think that that's a very unfortunate perspective to have because it says, what is truest is what I feel right now. I'm at the center of my own universe and I get to decide what what I'm going to allow into it and what I'm going to hold at arm's length because at the end of the day, I want to be authentic. So spontaneity and authenticity are these two idols um, in youth culture. But unfortunately, what we find when we idolize youth culture, spontaneity and authenticity is that we don't believe in long-term investment. We don't believe in long-term investment because what we're subtly expecting is instant gratification. That when I become a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit and then automatically whatever I feel or perceive in the moment, that is from the Holy Spirit and you cannot tell me otherwise. You see how we do that? Kind of laid down that Holy Spirit card. And we don't believe that it's about long-term investment which requires long-term vision Who am I to become? And I want to allow that vision of the future to call back into the present moment what I should do now in order to be formed to become the kind of person. We're gonna talk a lot about virtue and character this year. And sometimes we feel like, oh, we're just faking it. Like if I'm just pretending to be patient or I'm pretending to be loving, I'm faking it somehow. But you realize we talk about, you know, that we're, we're putting it on we're putting on character we're putting on virtue because we're practicing it now in advance of it becoming part of who we are and that's not inauthentic that's not being fake C.S. Lewis says if you have trouble loving someone just act as if you do and see what happens because guess what you loved them well done and we need to have that vision of long term investment it's actually the, the first one of the first sermons that I ever preached down here it's back in the status days in 2011 I think how many of you were around in oh a decent amount of you First sermon I ever preached, was like 800 people, and it was like an hour long. I've gotten better, <laughs> marginally, um, but I had this. I had this. The, the, we were in worship, and I actually had this vision. I was thinking about this idea of hope, and the image in the Christian household of hope is an anchor. I have a little anchor tattooed right here. It It's the church that I came from in Nashville. And, and I, you, know, you always think about an anchor being anchored in the present moment, and then the boat's kind of tethered to that, and then that's what's keeping it from going back and forth. But I, in this vision, I recognized, like, I saw this kind of vision of the future, this kind of island... Eden perfection paradise and the anchor was attached in that future place and there was a rope coming all the way back into the present moment and holding my little ship which is being tossed back and forth by all of these waves but what God was doing was taking the rope and pulling me into his future and I realized that anchor is a symbol of hope it's not because I'm anchored to this moment I'm actually anchored to that future vision and God is pulling me into his certain future you know when we say hope in the Christian household we don't mean gosh I really hope it It rains tomorrow. We say, I know how the story ends. I read the last page of the book. I know how this is going to turn out. And I'm allowing that vision to call back into the present moment. What am I to do today in order to see that come true? because I don't have to, to buy into those cheap versions of spontaneity and authenticity that are just about the present moment. And whatever's What I'm feeling right now, or whatever I'm being told right now, that's the realest thing. And I think that's so powerful for us to understand when we're talking about this path of maturity, beginning with that commitment of choosing not to choose. Because then we begin to examine all of these different aspects of the Christian life, the, the rhythms that we've been called into, and we see them in a new light. Because it's not about following rules, and it's not about doing whatever we feel like in the moment. Christy and I were talking about this several months ago in both of our stories. This pivotal, this pivotal transition came with Sundays where, you know, when I was in college, I'd wake up and go, I could go to church today, or I could not go to church today, right? And, and oh, the freedom of choice and how revelatory that is. And I I realized after a year and a half of that that I was just spiritually dried up. I wasn't murdering people, and I wasn't doing many drugs. Just kidding. (laughs) There wasn't anything dramatic. It was just I just felt disconnected from God and from community. And I realized I needed to choose to not choose what what to do with my Sundays. Because I promise you, friends, if you wake up at 10 o'clock on a Sunday, you've got 30 minutes to get here, And you have a choice. Well, I could go to church today or I could practice self-care. I could go to church today or I could catch up on watching whatever my television show. You will always choose the other thing because it's based on what you feel. Because you're rejecting the rule-based religion that perhaps you came from. When we talk about the the Eucharist, the communion, the Lord's table, some people feel like they can't come to the table because they, they are so burdened in sin. Or some people feel like they don't need to do it. But it's through the constant practice of coming to the Lord's table, regardless of how we feel, bringing all of our feelings, bringing all of our convictions, bringing all of our pride and, and our shame and laying it at the feet of Jesus saying, I'm continuing to participate in this sacred act because you've called me to it. It forms us over time. Perhaps it's true in, for you if you're part of a community group. For us, Wednesdays. I don't make decisions on what I do on Wednesday evenings because I have a community group. And I'm bound to those people. I've devoted my Wednesdays to those people and they have devoted their time to me. And it's a non-negotiable. It's that kind of move when we can choose not to choose is that what we are actually doing is we're submitting to God's divine consistency. And the truth that God actually works very slowly over time. There's no such thing as instant gratification in the kingdom. He does miracles. He does amazing things where you're one this way one way and then you're this way the next. But the true path of spiritual formation takes time. It's investment. It's giving ourselves over to the consistency of God in the chaos of the world the way that it is today. And indeed we find this in this passage in that last little line where he says it's from the whole, him, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. The word ligament is where we get the word religion. I love religion, I think religion is great. Don't let anybody tell you that religion is a bad word. It can be used for bad things, but the word religio, religio literally means to bind together. And when we embrace our religion, which is coming together for worship, which is praying over one another, which is meeting regularly, which is giving, which is the sacraments of baptism and communion, all of these different religious things actually bind us to God and bind us to one another so that we are not tossed back and forth by every teaching in the world, that we are no longer infants. And so I want us to take three minutes, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and just reflect on this. What are my hopes and fears when it comes to commitment and consistency in community? What have been your experiences up to this point? What are your fears? What are your hopes? Do you have that vision for what it can become? Take three minutes and discuss. I'll give you about one more minute So I want you to go back to citybeautiful.ch/praxis, wrap up that final thought, and I want to talk you through some of the options that there are. and And trust me, like as a as a church community, we do not believe that our opportunities are the only opportunities. Um, we think they're pretty great, um, but by no means does it have to be you know branded by city beautiful church for you to do one of these things but if you're looking for an opportunity this is what it is. So if you go to citybeautiful.ch/praxis, you'll see on there the first little portion is about our community groups, which are ongoing groups that are meant kind of for that for the whole human being to be present. And in these that's kind of long-term investment in community coming together Uh, Sharing a meal, studying scripture, laying hands, praying for one another, kind of talking through your life. A a group of people that that are there specifically to encourage you, to hold you accountable. Uh, The next set is our focus groups. These are uh, kind of a little bit more refined in what their purpose is. So for example, our altered group is examining what's the intersection between prophecy and the arts, And so it's a group of people who are coming together on Wednesdays here, learning how do we listen to the Lord prophetically and then create art out of that. Um, The next group is married. So anybody who's engaged and married, coming together once a month to just encourage each other on that journey. And there's a beautifully wide swath of experience in that community. It's become invaluable to a lot of people here. Um, And then the final one is that I have a group on Friday mornings at the Credo just over here in North Downtown, um, that's about uh, contemplation and intercession, that we meditate on a psalm in the morning to kind of set ourselves right with the Lord, and then we pray. We pray for our, our church. We pray for our city. We pray for the world. And so those are a few of the focus groups. And then the last two, we have two studies that are going to be through the, 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 the spring, um, and they're finite, uh, and they're very direction courses. They're going to start, and, and so the first one is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the idea is you, your spiritual maturity is directly tied to your emotional health. And if we can allow the Lord to begin to work in our, in our emotional health, we find that we spiritually grow. And that's an eight-week course. Um, and there's a book to purchase for $10 for that. And that's going to begin February 13th. Um, the other one is called The Good and Beautiful God. And it's this idea that everything that we believe about God Translates to everything we believe about ourselves and about the world. And so how can we come back to seeing God as Jesus demonstrated who He is? And that's a that's a book study that's gonna be eleven weeks starting on February 5th, and that's a $15 book. And your guarantee to get into those two those two studies is to buy the book. Okay, you have to buy the book in order to get into that study. So we're gonna have the books available in the back today. If you want to purchase one of those um, emotionally healthy spiritualities, ten dollars, good and beautiful God is $15, and those are both limited spaces. So it's kind of first come, first serve. So those are our discipleship opportunities uh, through the spring. Um, so the, the, so, like I said, the, the first kind of major thing that we can bring from this passage in Ephesians is that you know the path to maturity begins with commitment, with choosing not to choose because we know that growth mostly happens over time. The second realization is this. As the church... We are responsible to help one another grow in maturity in Christ. As the church, if you are a Christian, you're part of the church. Wow, it's getting smoky in here. That's just fog, right? Like, I don't, shouldn't be worried. Okay. <laughs> if you are a Christian, you are already part of the church, whether or not you have decided that you think that is so. Again, because we love to control the narrative, and like, we love to define what is and what isn't, and who we are and who we're not. Um, but to be to, to be a follower of Jesus is to be given over to something, which is the family of God. And so what Paul is saying here is you are to become practically what you already are in theory, which is the body of Christ. And I love the way that he frames it in Ephesians 4 because he says, specifically, you've been given these gifts by God, these positions within the community to help Love other people into the kingdom. And he names what we call the fivefold gifts, okay? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's kind of laying the foundation. But we find in other parts of Paul, he gives other lists of what these spiritual gifts are. And indeed, later on this year, we're going to be doing in-depth studies specifically on the spiritual gifts and helping you to find out how has God crafted you specifically to love other people into the kingdom, And all these little, seemingly little roles that we have in the church contribute to us growing together. And so Paul gives us this amazing vision in Ephesians that none of us get left behind, okay? There's not a hierarchy within the church in the sense of these people kind of run on ahead and these other people just have to kind of wait until God does them a favor or whatever it might be. Again, some of those messages we've internalized from our society around us, but that nobody gets left behind. I was listening to this wonderful um, interview, actually, with the uh, former governor of uh, Tennessee, and he was talking about um, being in counseling with him and his wife, and they're talking about child rearing, and the counselor said, do you believe that if you and your wife start like train tracks, if you start off in the same place and you end up in the same place, you did it together? He said, well, yeah. He said, okay, that's the thing that we need to address. You and I, we may start off in the same place and maybe we end up in the same place, but just because we arrived in the same place doesn't mean that we actually did it together. And that means that we need to sanctify the idea of serving within the church. What does that mean? It means we need to bring it back to being a holy thing that we serve one another. We don't serve just because there's a need. We're not all the little Dutch boy running around just plugging holes in the dam. We're not serving just because there's an obligation. You just, oh, it's the kind of thing you're supposed to do if you're a Christian because that's not holy and sacred. When we recognize even the smallest, most insignificant things that we do within the community contribute to the larger picture of all of us being raised up into maturity and into the fullness of Christ, I guarantee you, you have more longevity to say yes. We need to remind each other that making coffee is not just about making coffee, that greeting one another is not just about greeting one another, that lighting candles isn't just about lighting candles, that filling the room with smoke is not just about filling the room with smoke. (laughs) They're all acts of worship that bind us to who God is, but secondly, they contribute to the larger picture, that we're all profoundly interconnected, and that all of us, we raise up together into the fullness of Christ, who is the head. Because this is is what I think is so convicting about sanctifying the place of serving. Complacency spreads very quickly. And as soon as we lower our eyes from the horizon of seeing who we are to become in Jesus, and we just make it about coffee, chairs, greeting people, whatever, complacency sets in very quickly. And not only does complacency set in quickly for you, but it also spreads like a wildfire. Because if we're honest, our natural tendencies are to move towards the path of least resistance, to do what comes natural, to do what feels better to us in the moment. And so we have to continually be encouraging one another. Keep your eyes on the horizon. Remember who we are to become together in Jesus. Look back to him. Allow that future vision of where the church is headed to call back into the present moment how we do the thing today. We cannot let our past experiences hinder the call on all of us to build up the body of Christ. Our church is, a, is made up of a lot of people who have grown up in church. We've experienced different forms of church. Some of us, you know, right from the very beginning have been part of it or whatever, whatever your story might be. And I, it is very normal And natural for you to have been wounded because you chose to say yes to serving at some point in your church experience. And that is valid. And that deserves to be recognized. But God wants to do something there. God wants to bring healing to that thing, to that moment, to that experience in your past church or probably even in this church. I'm not going to pretend like we're exempt from having wounded people that say yes to serving in this church. But there's a difference between being a victim and playing a victim, right? When we allow that to define ourselves forever and we wear that as a badge and say, I'm never ever going to ever do this ever again. And it's to remember, to offer grace to the church itself and to offer grace to one another to say, let's get back into it. Let's continue to maintain this vision for what we're doing, why we're doing it. And to believe that so much healing actually comes through service. Some of us feel like we have to find the healing before we're going to say yes again to the community. And then we wonder why we kind of hit a dead end and we're not moving forward. Perhaps it's because it's only through serving that you're going to find the healing that you need. Maturity is being able to discern that one experience is not all experiences. That your experience in your previous church or your experience in this church is not true of all churches. And maturity is being able to maintain the high impossible call of who we are to become and allowing that to form us to say yes and no. And then in that process, we learn how do we regulate our yes and our no? How do we move away from this idea that serving is inherently draining Or how do we prevent ourselves from entering into a situation where we're over-committing, we're compulsive givers without any kind of grounding in intimacy with God to know how to say yes and no. But how do we enable other people to come alongside of us to help us in that journey of regulating our yeses and our nos? Where serving becomes life-giving because we see who we're becoming in it. Where serving becomes a place where we are reminded, you need to take a rest and you need to stop doing for a moment so you can remind yourself of who you really are. How do we learn to allow other people to come alongside of us to point out our blind spots, to challenge the way that we're holding things, that maybe our understanding of, of the world isn't entirely intact in that moment, but it's through serving, with linking arms with one another that we're actually able to do that, that we open ourselves up to what we perceive being judgmental and critical is actually someone coming alongside of us and challenging some of our assumptions and our thoughts so that we continue on the road? How do we trust leadership and offer grace when leadership gets it wrong? To say, we're all figuring it out too. Just because we're leaders in this church doesn't mean that we've arrived at maturity. we're maintaining that same vision that Paul says, not that I've arrived already, but I'm continuing to press press on. Will you join me? Will you come with me? So I want you to take two more minutes, and I want you to ponder this with the person next to you. What are my hopes and fears when it comes to serving the body of Christ? What has been your experience to this point? And what are your hopes of, of who you might become when you say yes to serving? So take a couple minutes and discuss. Give you about thirty more seconds. I want you to start pivoting back to that citybeautiful.ch praxis, and the very last part of that page is going to be a few qualities Um, of serving. We didn't put on there, you can sign up for this ministry, you can sign up for that ministry, but what are the kind of things that you feel called to do? And just to click a couple of those, and we're going to have some of our ministry leaders uh, reach out to you and and engage in some conversation of what it would look like for you to serve with some of those things. Perhaps you want to try something new. Perhaps you've never really served, but to believe that it's actually through service that you find some healing to your past wounds. And it's through service that we see all of us raise up together. My vision for all of us this year, we're talking about how do, we, how do we measure maturity in our church? That's a very hard question to understand because it's very easy to make it about rules and regulations and behavior. But if we're talking about character formation and whether the practical aspects of that, is everybody in a position where they're being discipled, where they're being led, where they're being held in, in account, accountable? to a smaller community of people who know them, who love them, who have permission to say things to them that other people normally wouldn't? Is everybody serving somewhere? Kind of giving back, contributing to the larger vision of who we are, whether it's making coffee or it's leading worship or whatever it might be. Is everybody contributing in some way, shape, or form? I think when we begin to see that more and more, that's a really good indicator that we are in a place of maturity. And along the process, having conversations, being sensitive to the spirit, learning how to say yes and no, but ultimately believing in the long-term investment of discipleship and serving, that we have this vision for who we are to become in that. And so I'm challenging you today, finish out that slash praxis sign up, hit submit. You've only got this week to do it. But perhaps in this journey of maturity, even before church when we were praying, I was thinking about how exciting it is when there's a new vision, there's a new shiny, and we've got a beautiful graphic up here that Hunter gave us, thank you. And then we have to actually do something about it. Wait a minute, you don't mean maturity just happens? No, we have to do something. God is partnering with us, and perhaps it's through community groups and focus groups and studies. It's through serving one another. It's making coffee. It's joining the worship team. It's arranging chairs, whatever it might be. Those are at least part of what it's going to look like for us to become more and more daily the body of Christ. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And in that spirit of religio, religion, the ligament the binding together, the tying together, we're going to come to the Lord's table with one another. And earlier in this chapter, Paul uh, says this in Ephesians 4 verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't it a relief that unity is not something that you and I have to manufacture? It's something that we have been saved into. And we can choose to agree with it or we can choose to disagree with it, but we are unified because we are the church. It's not just one more work, this thing that we have to do. And so when we come to the Lord's table, that's what we're embodying together, that all of us, everything that we're carrying all the stuff that we're working through, all of our greatest, most beautiful gifts, and all of our deepest, darkest secrets, the things that we don't want anybody to know, we bring all of that to the Lord's table. So communion becomes a symbol of unity, of taking what's true in theory and making it true in practice. And it becomes a symbol of commitment that we're saying to God, I'm choosing not to choose you. I'm not going anywhere because I know you're not going anywhere. And it becomes that commitment to one another to say, this this is the family to which I've been saved and I'm not going anywhere. So as we come forward, I want you to be in prayerful consideration as you come. What are you laying at the feet of Jesus to say, Lord, here's all of my experiences in the past with discipleship and serving, but I wanna invite your healing touch and give me a vision of who we are to become so that I know what to say yes to today to see us all raise up into the fullness of who you are. So we're going to start in the front. We're going to work our way down. You can give in these boxes or you can give online and then you can receive uh, of the sacred, uh, the sacred symbol of communion. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this vision for the year of maturity in Christ and God I pray that you would give each one of us a vision for what that might look like in our lives and in the life of our community that we would pray and ask you give us a picture even just of a year from now who are we to become and lord as we come to your table to take into ourselves the body and blood of jesus that we'd recognize that this is something that's far more interesting than keeping the rules or being spontaneous but it's about being formed. That the more that we come to you, the more we seek your face, the more that we demonstrate that unity in serving one another and encouraging one another, the more we become like you. And so bless this moment, Lord. We give you permission to do whatever you see fit to do in us. We pray all of these things to the strong name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's come to the table and let's give our offerings.